from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrow Merrigan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chapter 63. Three. Three? Three. 63. 63. Three or three? Six three. I just said three or three, like it's the exact same thing, man. Oh, you have to say it with... Th- yeah. Thir- three. Our guests, who's an actor, will tell us how to Absolutely. say it. Absolutely. Like, that's all you do in drama school. This, that, these and those, that is the way the TH goes. Yeah, that can give you, I can give you this all <laughs> day long. Th- 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 <laughs> who's so, that, Danny? Um, chapter 63 of What's The Story Podcast. My name is Danny Murray. Graham American, how are you? Great, how are you, Danny? I'm absolutely fantastic. Graham, whose dulcet tones did we just hear? Who did we hear? We Angus Og McAnally uh, in the house. That's Beautiful. a self-made promo, love it. Beautiful, man. It's got to be done. <laughs> I think in, in, the in a time of war, one man. <laughs> <laughs> in the 60-odd chapters we've done, nobody has done their own intro. So, congratulations. Yes, um, Jump the gun, why not? Yeah, so we're going to be talking to Angus about pretty much anything and everything uh, to do with the world of acting, the world of wrestling. And arts so, in general. Th- yeah, arts really? in general. Sounds yeah. good to me. Yeah. But before we do that, we have to say where we're coming from. Graham, where are we coming from? We're coming from Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel. I can't plug it the way you plug it, man. I want you to plug it this week just to see how it goes. Oh, gee, you put me <laughs> on the spot here. You blindsided me here. Absolutely. I've been watching a lot of Friday Night Lights, man. Blindsided and everything. Oh, do you watch Friday Night Lights? No, it's the football one. Apparently yeah. it's amazing. Man, it's so... I've been putting it off. He's been at me for about two years, I'd say, to watch it. Yeah. I want the lads in work uh, on ward, um, or pads, we effectively call them. Um, he has been at me for the last, I'd say, four or five months to watch it. So last week I sat down to watch it. The first season is 22 episodes, and I'm 21 episodes in. Excellent. Awesome. Oh, it's I'm unbelievable. Home, I'm going home tonight to watch the season finale. I can't <laughs> wait. Like Seriously. How many seasons are there? Five. Five. Yeah. Um, it's up there with Sopranos for me. Really? Yeah. It is fantastic. I've heard it's the best depiction of a marriage in the history of television between... Is it the Co- Coach Taylor, Taylor. Coach Taylor yeah. and Mrs. T. It's a great Unbelievable. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Now, should I watch it with my wife, though, or am I heading straight for divorce if I do that? Oh, no, no. Yeah, She's dirt, though. It's oh, okay. In the nice way. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. mean the character, not my wife, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting hung if she listens to this. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Mrs. Taylor is like, she. she's a good looking woman, but I, tell you, I love Coach Taylor so much, I'd never dream of trying to break up that marriage. <laughs> never. He watched three episodes and he sent me an audio and saying, I love Coach Taylor. Like, I was like, you're only three episodes in, pal. Like, he's brilliant. He's so tough, but tough love, man. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So good. Um, Sorry, we're coming from Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel. We are, we are. Um, they do great weddings. They do great no. weddings. They do great, There's my plug. They do great spreads. They do great afternoon tea in the library. They, look, lads, every week you hear us talk about how good it is. Don't just listen to how good it is. Come up and experience how good it is. You know what I mean? Tell them what you sent you. I can vouch for it because, as I said a few minutes ago, I'm from the main streets of Port Marnock. I do not cross the Liffey very often, particularly without getting the old uh, the passport stamped. (laughs) I don't get this far south of the river that often, and it's been it's made it worth the trip. Yes, it's quite beautiful surroundings. I had I had a little burger to keep me taking over, and it was delicious. Love it, there we go. Love it. There you go. Look at that. Um, The main streets of Port Marnock, man. We must talk about that as well because I'd say you have seen things. You know, you wouldn't believe it. You know what? We had it so tough growing up that sometimes, sometimes our parents didn't even pay for our insurance on the family second car. We had to pay for our own insurance and. 
sometimes the second family car was only an A-class Mercedes, not even a C or an A. That's how tough we had it. You don't know what Jeez, it's like. Man. Wow. You haven't seen my life. You <laughs> <laughs> can only imagine how many people you've seen jaywalking. You know? <laughs> uh, right, FitzpatrickCastle.com. Check them out. Look them up on Facebook as well. Graham, 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 Graham. Before we start talking, it's time for a little something I'd call housekeeping. Woody boo boo. Housekeeping. <laughs> Every week I put Graham on the spot and I say that and hope he has the jingle. And at this stage, I've done it so many times, I figure he'll just have a normal jingle. But now every week he does something like that and it just changes. It's nice. Yeah, and yours is better. Yeah, yeah I like guy. that. Yeah. Housekeeping. <laughs> uh, right, first up, lads. We have, a new, we have a new saint. Uh, heaven has a big old hall of fame that um, you need miracles to get into. And uh, Teresa O'Calcoe has apparently racked up the miracles so well that they gave her a fast pass. It's such bullshit, man. Man, she skipped a queue like you do in airports. Yeah, <laughs> she does, man. The American Express. <laughs> it's absolutely like both of her things. What, were her, what, were, what, were, what did they say her miracles were? Uh, both of them involved curing cancer. And this is one of them is my favorite, right? This is beautiful. It's amazing. Um, curing a, cancer? A woman's cancer was cured. After she opened a locket, which contained a photo of El Teresa, yeah. and a beam of light emanated from said locket, penetrating her and curing her of this dreaded disease. That seems legit to me. I don't understand why you've got a problem with that. that that's how science works, last I checked. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm fairly sure Professor John Crown and Carl would be like, yeah, that's totally how it works. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Like, it just, it's bananas, man. It is bananas. And like, they, why did I rush it? Probably because they they like because there's so many naysayers. There's been a lot of negative talk about they're her cashing as well. in on her, aren't they? Really, like that's what they're doing. Effectively, yeah. mother when mother Teresa died, the Vatican were handed effectively the money in the bank suitcase, right? And the Pope has passed it along to the next Pope, and he passed it along. And essentially, all the Popes have been like, "Lads, we have this. We need to cash this in soon because the longer we leave it, the more bad shit's coming out about this woman." But the, it's Sorry. still going to come out, though. Didn't that guy write a book? Um, Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens. He did. And uh, it brilliantly called... Skating the, book. The Missionary Position. <laughs> oh, he didn't, did he? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> See, Mother Teresa, that's... You, you want to talk wrestling, talk about cashing in money. She is the China of saints. Absolutely. <laughs> They're cashing on it now. She's dead. We're going, right, okay, lads. We're going, there's such an uproar. And that's what that's the whole fast-tracking thing as well. Yeah. We're going, oh, my God, she was the best. And there's such a clamor about it, the same way as, unfortunately, were for the late, great China. Um, it what I don't get is, right, I think, broadly speaking, if you have a wonderful faith in some kind of religion and it makes you a better person and you go out and you yep. do things for charity, brilliant, awesome, great, knock yourself out, yeah. it's brilliant. Or if you take a more scientific view and you go, this is very clearly horseshit, go away, what the fuck are you talking about? That's fine too. Both of those positions are fine. It's when you try and meet in the middle. Like, you know, you get this stuff with Noah's Ark and you go, no, totally, there was definitely enough room in Noah's Ark to put all those animals. Mm. No, there wasn't. No, there was. Like, we've measured it and I know what a cubit is and uh, it was enough cubits that it was, there was enough room. And you go, okay, then you talk me through then how the polar bears walked that 6,000 miles over deserts to get to where the Ark was. Yeah. Well, you know, God interviewed. Well, then just stick to the magical answer. Don't tell me that you've measured out what a cubit is and you can fit them in the boat. Just say to me, it was magic. God waved his wand and made it happen. Yeah. Like, don't try and bring science into it. And like you're going, it's the 21st century, lads. If you want to claim legitimately with proper scientific backup that this crazy dead woman cured people's cancer, you've got like... 
like huge exaggerated claims need huge exaggerated proofs and I don't think a locket qualifies as a huge proof in my book. Now I would be inclined to agree and I quite like the way that you've gone it's magic and just leave it at that. Yeah. Look I love magic and if somebody turned around to me and said I was like man what happened there how did that happen? Magic. What? You believe what? it more. It's like what kind of magic? <laughs> <laughs> locket magic. I'd instantly be more curious than if they said no because uh, God intervened and he created like an ice path across all the deserts and all the dry lands. I'm like but what did the polar bears eat? He also provided water so that they'd have seals to eat. No he didn't man. No he fucking <laughs> like didn't. He really like, really didn't. Not a chance so why it, like. do it? I, it's bizarre to me. And, what, do you and, think, what do you think of like what, what would old Ireland think of Mother Teresa? Oh, you know like have we moved on as such that, have we moved on as such as a kind of nation where it's kind of like uh, Mother Teresa or are we kind of going fair well, play yeah, to her, like, she deserves it? No, look, I think there's a generational thing as well. Like, I think there's, like, the elder generation, of course, they, look, I mean, when a new saint comes along, they're waiting for to be on a stamp or on a mass card and they're buying it, like, mm. before Ireland 2.0, almost this kind of younger generation kind of from, I, I'd be inclined to say maybe mid to early 40s down, a lot of people are kind of like, Ah, yeah. Mother Teresa. Grand. Because, like. Uh, like, my grandparents are relatively young for grandparents. And I would always often remember waking up in the house and there'll always be, like, a before you leave, there was, like, a holy water mm-hmm. thing. There was yeah. the Virgin Mary on the landing. Yeah. Uh, there was Padre Pio. Yeah. Um, and I always remember my grandmother, like, always talking about Mother Teresa and when she came on the telly, blessing herself. I think, like, my grandmother's 69 now, so. Yeah. I think she's over all that though. Yeah, like I, I, I kind of what you said a second ago, Angus, about this whole like if you're gonna make the lie, commit to the lie. Yeah, and just go with it. Like I'm gonna do my best here at remembering Shakespeare, and I'm sorry if I butcher it, but it's that whole was it Hamlet? Was it the whole way of weighed so far in blood that to go over is as easy as to turn back? Yeah, that ain't Hamlet. That's the other guy. That's the Scottish king, Macbeth. Don't say it out loud. You're not allowed to say it. Not allowed to say it. That's exactly why I done it because it's like Voldemort, and what I'm just a gonna fucking asshole. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Disrespecting my culture. It's only for me to say. It's only if you're an actor you can't say it, though, is it? Yeah, or is I guess. It, or if I say it around you, was that like putting the guy hickeys yeah. on you? Yeah, or technically if I'm talking into a microphone, does that mean I'm performing? And if it's around performance, you have to make oh, it... Shit. It's like the whole thing that you have to go outside and turn around three times and spit and ask to be asked back in. I have to quote a different line of Shakespeare in my head silently now to undo the all that stuff. Actors are, cra- actors are crazy at the best of times, but actor suspicions are mental. You can't whistle in a theatre, can't do loads of stuff. Well, because in the so so, so stagehands in the old days. So if you when they talk about working in the flies, so you, if you imagine you go and see a play and a big piece of the set gets flown in from the ceiling and drops down to the floor, yeah. That okay. Spoiler alert. That's men pulling ropes that make it come in from the room. Okay? But Don't in the, the magic. But in the old days, they were dockers because who else knew how to be hoisting things up on ropes? Yeah. And all the cues and signals for when to lift stuff and how to lift stuff was in whistles because that's. Docker oh. language, that's really patronising. I don't mean Docker language, that's how Docker's cued yeah. it. So if you're just walking across the stage or if you're in the wings and you whistle, some Docker goes, oh shit, that's my cue, and drops a fucking truck on some girl's head, which would be bad in the theatre. So yeah, we, we are precious about our little uh, okay. about our little superstitions. But yes, if... Do you have superstitions? Uh, I... I, no, like in the way that soccer players go, like have to put their left boot on, their right boot on. Yeah. If I'm getting into costume, I don't have any of that stuff. But I respect the standing... Theatre traditions, A, because I like the tradition of the business. I mean, obviously, because I'm third-generation actor, a lot of it's been passed down to me, yeah. and I like that kind of lineage stuff. Um, but also because you might be working with an actor who is sensitive to it, and it's such a 
hard job at the best of times to go out in front of you know hundreds of people or thousands of people uh, and try and you know and, and put your soul on the line and kind of expose yourself that anything like that can really throw people off if they are sensitive to it so kind of out of respect for other people mm. I kind of observe them or I don't I just don't take the piss with them mm. but I've completely interrupted so yes you were beautifully quoting Shakespeare yeah, I was, and yeah. he has now so far steeped in blood that <laughs> yes yeah. uh, and I'll also apologise for taking the piss out of the earth that's quite uh, alright <laughs> <laughs> I love that you reacted to the whole whistle thing. Yeah, I was like, sorry, hang on. What? I love when he doesn't know something that he brilliant. I get fascinated very easily. You'll learn that <laughs> Thanks a lot. very much. Like, I mean, you could literally tell me, did you know Ballygown water is just tap water? And I'd be outraged. <laughs> what? Like only fields um, and horses? <laughs> remember the episode where... No. Peckham Spring. Peckham Spring. No. Do you ever watch... Do you not watch only fields and horses? No. Get out. Do you not like only fields and horses? Get out. Ah, for Jay. Yeah, How have I we know, gone this I long know, known you and not known Well, it's this. been fun seeing you, lads. Join us again next <laughs> week. <for laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Look, I've had this conversation with a lot of people, um, and they have equally chastised me, and, you know. Have you gone. tried to get into it? Yeah, like, I've watched it when it's on the telly and that kind of, like, it's on gold, like, nearly 24-7 and on. Of, like, it's unbelievable, man. Like, there's bits of it that I, I enjoy, but it's not something that I'd be, like... It wouldn't be something that I'd ever sit down to make an effort to watch. It's LOL comedy. Uh, I don't know. But we can come back there to that. There was a bit about, there was an Sorry. episode of Peckham Spring where okay. Del Boy got a top and put it in between loads of rocks and right. said he was he was doing his own spring water. Right, okay. And it was from it. Oh, it's lost on you. It's yeah, gone. It's gone. You had to be there. Philistine. <laughs> Go on, tell us about Mother Teresa. Sorry, yeah, so she's basically in the Heaven Hall of Fame now. She's rocked a load of miracles. Uh, Frano, the Pope, has said, yep, she's in. And uh, the people flocked in their thousands to come and be like, come on, Teresa, do what you do to me. I don't know. Um, all this, and apparently she was an absolute... Weapon. Yeah, I was going to say, all this, and apparently like people who were on their deathbeds in Calcutta, and they weren't of Catholic faith at all, but she just rocks in with her holy water and her cross. And just starts blessing people left, right, and centre, like just rocking the shit out of that. And they're like, oh, "That's not for me, though. I'm waiting for another god." And she's like, "There's only one." Blessing them away, you know. She was not allegedly absolute wagon. So yeah, yeah and that, that Christopher Hitchens thing is, is yeah. I mean, the talk that you hear about her, kind of thinking that you know, pain and suffering was yeah. a virtue, and you can offer it up to God as He gave His passion on the cross. You too can do this, and you'll be. Fuck off. If you're dying and you're in a sick bed in poor slums of Calcutta. Yeah. No, sorry. You don't get to do that. Give me some pain relief. If at I'm, the very least, throw me a pair of Panadol or something. Yeah, you know? If yeah. I am absolutely ravaged by some disease and my last dying hours are in agony, I would be going to Tommy on the Liffey to get a bag of skag if I had to, to ease the pain. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not going to lie about that. If people are uncomfortable and you know that like the, the light is dimming, make them comfortable, man. But all this, um, when she was sick, she was in a fantastic hospital in America. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course know, she was, man. She was in the, t- the top facilities, and of course she was. You know, she, she was never uncomfortable. No, she mm. wasn't. It's it's crazy. Like her clothes often looked a lot cleaner than everybody else's. If you don't mind my saying, her clothes, yeah. All her stuff was pitch perfect white with that little trim of blue. <laughs> and then you're seeing all the people around there, dirty brown. Did, did you take Did you take much fashion advice from Mother Three over the years? As you style just, your look for a Saturday night out. <laughs> just, just the footwear. <laughs> just, like, just, just go for comfort and you'll be grand. And I was like, all right, so no barefoot. And she's like, well, you know. But she was a weapon. It's what we're getting at. 
Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, if, <laughs> look, if anybody wants to tell us about how good she was, at WTSPod on Twitter, we promise not to retweet you with the crying laughing emoji. But um, i seen on Twitter, uh, UFC fighter and friend of the show, Ashleen Daly. Yes, tweeted, check out the chapter we done with her. I can't remember what number, but just scroll back, you'll find it. She, uh, she tweeted an article of, you know, the things that Mother Trees had done wrong and, you know, kind of a retaliation of the whole weekend celebration of Mother Trees. Right. And Ashley and Daly got a few tweets back from the, like the, staunch Catholics to say yeah, that the, she's look, wrong. And There are people who are quite precious about that kind of thing. And look, I have no problem. If you believe, you believe. Have at it. Like, you know what I mean? But I mean... At the same time, people are entitled not to believe, and people are entitled to question shit. Of course, as well, it's like, like what Inga said as well: is that if you want to have a religion and it makes you feel better, uh, makes you fucking happy yeah. day to day, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Just don't preach. <laughs> well, yeah, that tit line that said that having a religion is a bit like having a willy. It's great to have it. It's great to be proud of it. Just don't wave it around in public and don't shove it down my throat. That might be the best description of religion I've ever heard in my life, actually. Lowering the tone since 1980. All right, here we go. Oh, man. If only you could have kept that with the priests. <laughs> I used to sing in the church choir. Oh, when I was 11 and 12, I used to sing in the church choir in Port Marnock. People go, Ingo, why did you do that? I said, it's very, very straightforward. There was 50 people in that choir, 49 girls and one fella. Genius. Singing in that church choir Genius. was absolutely awesome. Yeah. <laughs> From 11 to 12. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That, was Genius, my, that was my peak time. <laughs> steadily downhill. Less cool, less sophisticated, less attractive since then. But, hey, what are you going to do? Um, yeah, we'll, look, we'll leave Teresa there and make sure you're RIP. What was the thing you wanted to bring up about Pokemon? Yeah. Pokemon Go absolutely swept the world and then it has just fallen off cliff edge as people Thankfully. suddenly realise that it was a novelty. But in the course of it becoming... A craze. The amount of shit that happened is insane. In one instance in Minnesota in America, a guy who was wanted for murder walked into a police station trying to catch a Pokemon. Cops recognized him and he arrested him and he's now being charged with murder. Like uh, Four dead bodies are being found by oh, people Jesus. trying to find Pokemon and they've stumbled across serious? dead bodies. Yeah, just like two people walked off a cliff in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, man, Pokemon Go is just—it is bananas. The things that have happened. Police uh, in America reported earlier in the week that they have at least seventy-eight incidents of muggings, robbings, and stab, stab, uh, stabbings from people who are like going to these poker stops um, to try and catch the Pokemon. And when they get there, there's a dude waiting. Who like has put? You can put these things called lures on a Pokestop, which apparently attracts the good Pokemon oh, to right, this. Okay, yeah. So people, when they see, oh my god, there's a lure on Parnell Street. Let's go, the leg it, and then Wacker and the boys are there, <laughs> and a little bit of stabby stabby. Give me your phone and your wallet. Thanks very much. Good luck. Good night. And God bless. Amazing. And that's it. So like, yeah. But, uh, like, you downloaded it though, didn't you? I did. Um, I explained my reasons why I was in Vegas and there was Pokemon pub crawls. Oh yeah. And Listen, what happens in Vegas stays in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> it was amazing. And Pokemon pub crawls. So essentially, what was happening was you could uh, you'd rock into a pub and they'd be like, "Okay, everybody in this pub, anybody who has a Charmander gets a free shot." And I'd be like, <laughs> they'd be like, "Yes, give me the shot now. Give me all the shots." And this, it was like you're talking you play, like 50, 60 people. Like. I have a six-year-old, so yeah, we we got that. And just because, and also I've got a, like a brand new baby as well, and she cries because she's a brand new baby. So I, yeah. I, I rather than actively parent her, I put her in the buggy and I walk. 
And so, I, so for my, to occupy my six-year-old on the walk, go, here, there's a Pokemon Go thing. And so now she gets quite kind of philosophical about the Pokemon. She's going, no, Dad, why do we have to capture these Pokemon? Like, should they not be allowed to go free? Go, Throw a Pokemon at the Jesus thing, all right? I'm trying to shut your sister up, and I can't hit a three-month-old. So what are we going to do about this? So, uh, so yeah, I've had it on the phone. It's... Um, yeah, I, like I don't know. Like it feels like it should be just a magnet for people mugging you. It feels oh, like it like, just you know, it's insane. Like. What was the other thing that those conspiracy guys were saying that uh, the CIA, the software company, the CIA use are the same software co- company that, that Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Go use. So they're kind of saying, are they trying to gather information? Those conspiracy guys. It's all that stuff of your phone, like recording when it's not recording, and like oh, like man. voice recorders and stuff. Every time. It's awesome. Yeah. It's terrifying. Like, does that whole thing of is it the NSA in America? Yeah, the, yeah. That like they have things that can literally just turn your phone into like a satellite at any given time and just like take a transmission that they can hear everything. That's mad. Everything it? at the one time. Like, the, like your phone is essentially a big old microphone that is connected to whatever they want it to. Like. To everything. But like, if someone had said to you fifteen years <clears throat> ago, in fifteen years' time, I'm going to give you something that's the size of a packet of cigarettes. And in it is going to be a video camera, a digital camera, your entire record collection, your Walkman, yeah. a map, an encyclopedia, a computer, a computer game. Like, it, that not yeah. it's all in your ass pocket at all times. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, in very, like, uh, Bill. Well, says they're not very smart. <laughs> well, there is that. But it's that, it's that thing of kind of going, like, you know, you, have, you now have access to the entire knowledge of human history, the collected yeah. learnings of humanity throughout our history. And we loll at videos of cats on YouTube with it. Yeah. Like, like, that's how much power we have in our hands. And uh, Actually, th- this all coming in the week where Apple have announced the latest iPhone stuff. And Bill Bohr has a brain bit on Steve Jobs. Because Steve Jobs is like the Jesus of technology. Like, people literally, like, they're mad into Steve Jobs. But uh, <laughs> Bill Bohr has this brain bit. It's worth checking. Just if you YouTube, just Bill Bohr, Steve Jobs, it'll come up. But he's talking about what you were saying about this whole thing of, like, if somebody had come up to you and said he had all these things, but he's like, Steve Jobs obviously had this idea, but Steve Jobs couldn't do it by himself. So he just walked into a room full of scientists and was like, I've got this idea. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I just want something that can fit my hand, and I want to be able to go big, little, big, little, big, little, swipe, swipe. And he starts, but it's, it's he does a lot better. He's a good comedian. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so... It is insane, it is insane though, isn't it? Like that 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 entire Pokemon augmented reality mm. in general blows my mind. Like it is ridiculous. We, I was going down Dunleary Pier there a couple of weeks ago, and the play, the pier was just full of people just yeah. playing Pokemon Go. Yeah. I was like saying to my friend, they just gathered at the bandstand halfway down the pier, and I was like, "Why is there loads of people here?" And he goes, "Did you not see what they're doing?" I was like, "No, nah, what are they doing? Playing Pokemon Go." Yeah. Like, like there was, oh there was like a, there's a Pokestop right outside my front door. Like so, Pokestop. Yeah, that? the the Cromlock and Cromlock Fields is a Pokestop. What what's a Pokestop? That's where all the Pokemon congregate, so you catch them, <laughs> right? So, it's like a nightclub for Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. So like during the summer, especially with the kids off school, like. There'd be gaggles of children. I presume that's a collective term for children, like gaggle. We're going a head wreck of children, I think. <laughs> that's fair with that. Literally just this absolute head wreck of children <laughs> gathered around it. And they'd literally just be screaming, Oh, there's a Cliff Fairy. And everybody'd be screaming, trying to catch the thing and all. I'm sitting and be sitting around going, ah, suckers. 
<laughs> now, the, only, the only positive here is like because you have to walk to hatch the eggs so yeah. there were people who were like doing like clocking like 25k walks a day and cutting two stone in the space of two weeks and going I'm fitter and healthier than I've ever been in my life yeah. and it's all amazing yeah. so I guess it's doing some good not so much good when you continue that walk off the edge of a cliff let's exactly. say exactly. but up to the point where you were still on dry land <laughs> that was a real good thing yeah until the point where you heard splash it was going well <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah that, just on that augmented reality thing that's a complete side note um, I recently got to have a go or, you know HTC to make the phones yeah. yeah they do a virtual reality thing and I recently got to have a go on where you get to climb Everest it was fucking terrifying <laughs> what, what is it like on like your phone a, no it's it's like a virtual reality headset you know like, oh a headset yeah it's like a, what's that Oculus it's like that Oculus Rift is that what they call it it's not that brand like, yeah, okay. but it's the same sort of okay. joy as that. But you can download different things for it. And one of them is say like you can do like the Sistine Chapel, or you can do like the Great Wall of China, or but the other one you can do is Everest, and uh, like it's interactive. So like it has little things that you have to do in order to progress up the mountain. Now, thankfully, you don't have to climb all you know twenty eight thousand feet of it. Like you literally go up in stages. But there's a bit where like you have to put the ladders down to cross the little the little. Whatever you call it. So are you in your room? Are you in your room pretending to hold ladders down? Yeah, pretty much. So I'm in your room with this headset on and like it's earphones so the Sherpas are talking to you. you know, <laughs> right? And then like you have to like, you have these hand thingies that like click. So you're holding them and in order for you to progress it's like you have to like, that's you're holding the rope and you're dragging yourself along and you're doing all this but like there's a part where you're doing it man and ice starts coming at you and because no matter what way you turn your head you're on the mountain. There's no escaping. Like it's not like we're watching telly and you can look away. Like if you look away, it's just coming at you from another angle. Do you know what I mean? Oh my so god! So it, it was it was the maddest. And like you take the headset every so often. You go, yeah, no, I'm still in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> you put the headset back on and you're there in. Can imagine your mom coming up, Danny, your dinner. Yeah, just climbing <laughs> Everest, man. Yeah. Be there in a minute. I have a story about Everest, and I'm afraid I'm going to reveal too many details if I tell it, but fuck it, I should just tell Go it. For it. Go for it. He loves Everest. So, I, I got obsessed with Everest. Like, I went down that rabbit hole. Deep, so, man. there's a pal of mine who's making a movie at the moment, and they're filming it at base camp in Get Everest. Serious? Yeah. And so, they've all been over there on location. So, they're, they're up to Jason's Mountain. And yeah. I think he's doing all the whole, oh, well, it's only base camp. Yeah, but base camp's whatever, like 3,000 10,000 meters. 70,000 feet. Yeah, it's, it's huge. So, and that's kind of remarkable enough in itself. What's more remarkable, though? Man, I'm going to get sued for this. What's more remarkable, (laughs) allegedly, 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 allegedly this happened, that he may or may not have been sitting in the camp one night. Because you'd be like, film sets, there's an awful lot of waiting around. Like, you shoot a little bit during the day or whatever. And presumably, with better conditions there, they're limited in what they can do. I know, I was on Fair City. No, it's very, very similar. Very (laughs) similar to shooting at base camp. Like that part where you rolled in in your car, I'd imagine would be like when they're waiting for a storm to pass. I would think it's identical, you know? yeah. if not just similar. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there he is in base camp in his tent one night, and he's on Tinder flicking through. Right? Gosh, finds a match, fucks off out of base camp on his own without telling anybody to go like twelve miles down Everest to hook up with some young one, and apparently did a great time. Holy shit. And where was she? Like, in another base Somewhere camp? else on fucking Everest, I guess. I don't know that it's a hotbed for, like, swinger activity, but clearly there was something going on. That is... That, that, most, that is the best Tinder story I've ever heard. But just ever. the balls to leave the camp and go, yeah, I'm going to walk down Everest on my own, see if I can... Yeah. Get me home. Kiss, basically, shit, like, That is amazing. Allegedly. 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 That story may or may not be true at all, Allegedly. but it totally is. Yeah. <laughs> 
you haven't named names, it's vague enough, it's fine. That's that mental. That is actually amazing. First of all. Tinder on Everest. Tinder game is strong. Man. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's about commitment to the cause, lads. Man, yeah. I, like, I would fist bump that brother right now. Like, yeah. That is sensational. But second of all, he must have balls like boulders to be like, yeah, I'm 8,000 metres up or whatever. Uh, oh, there's a chance of me holding there? Yeah. <laughs> it's going off down the mountain. Like. It's only Everest. <laughs> oh my God, man. That, like, it takes mental. like 11 days to trek into base camp. Like, it's not an easy thing. Like, you can't get the 111 to it. You, know what I mean? like, you can't jump on the 46A and be like, base can't play a sport, yeah? 280, crown, yeah? Oh, must like, be, what, like, that's mad. Yeah, it's under Sheeves at another base camp. I, I have no idea. It's, I'm going to ring him and ask. But it's that, amazing. That is, um, that is my favourite thing. I need to know more details. That's incredible. <laughs> that's like, deadly. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Wow. How are you on Tinder, do you say, Graham? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Oh, I'm man. so glad. Like I've, I, so I married my high school sweetheart, so I've been out of the loop since before phones yeah. existed and all that stuff. So I'm just so glad because I don't, I don't, I wouldn't know how to start with the Tinder yeah. thing. I wouldn't no. know where to begin. I wouldn't know what a swipe left is versus a swipe right. I, w- I, but I don't even know how to date people. Like, I, don't, like, <laughs> I, I don't even look. I just like them all. <laughs> just like them all. <laughs> Scatter going approach. Yeah. And then eventually and something's then gonna happen. Something's to gonna match. Because like, I've like I've never done. Right. That, I've never done that dating thing. So like I don't know that thing. If you have to wait three days afterwards before you can. Text them, or you can ring them and tell. No, you can't ring them, or you yeah, yeah. like all those rules. Mm. No idea. I yeah. would be the biggest dweeb of all time if I had to go dating. <laughs> yeah, it'd be it's, dreadful. I, I I'm often thankful that my missus puts up with me and hasn't dumped me because like that we're long term, we're six years. Like so, I'm going in my head going, I wouldn't know what to do right now. Like if I was to go, you'd be I, going on growing there though. Probably, I'd get confused. Like <laughs> easily confused. <laughs> Don't run going on grinder. That's the Woody Allen line, isn't it, about being bisexual? It doubles your chances of a date on Saturday night. <laughs> I'm all for that. I am all for that. Day to day. Exactly. Hole to hole. Yeah. Um Oh yeah, I genuinely I would I would fear the prospect of and it's like you said, that whole etiquette situation of Oh, it's been two days, she hasn't texted me, do I do I just wait? Oh, do I add her on Facebook? Do I not add her on Facebook? I know a follower on Instagram. <laughs> Subtle. Yeah. That's what I'll do. And right, yeah. are I? Yeah, exactly. Just like one photo. Not one where she's posing though, just one with the girls or something, be like, Oh, you look cute. Like go from there. I would be terrible at dating. <laughs> like I'm at the say because like, you get certain stage in a relationship, you're comfortable with just kind of sitting there and just bodily functions will happen. You've no bother just like, you know, farting into your armchair and just chuckling to yourself while you change the channel and she's like, You're sick. You are sick. <laughs> but if you go into a new relationship, man, you're in that stage, at least for the first while, where you're like, hold it in. Hold it <laughs> yeah. in. Hold it in. <laughs> you, you look uncomfortable. You are right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then your stomach does that noise. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work, man. It's hard work. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Everest. Tinder. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, that all started with Pokemon somehow or another. Yeah. Grimo, the Paralympics have just kicked off, yeah. and uh, there is one woman who effectively is proven to be Superwoman. I, I don't know how she's doing this, but Tatiana, Tatiana McFadden, thank you. Is nothing to Brian, no relation to Brian. I think so. It's an awful pity. <laughs> how are you, Brian? She's not only competing in the one hundred meters in her discipline; she's not only competing in the two hundred meters or the four hundred meters. She is going every single race from the one hundred meters all the way up to the marathon. 
Mm, she's an animal. She has 10 medals spread out across the last three Olympics. And she said she's hoping to have at least another four this time around. But this doesn't exist incredible. anywhere else. Those, like, in the way that like, it's, it's phenomenal that Usain Bolt does. Does he go up as far as 400 or just one and two? I think uh, it's he does the four, Does he do the 400 oh, meter relay? relay maybe. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, he's only, so, like, so either, you do, either you do the 100 and 200 or yeah. you do like the yeah, it's, six or eight or whatever. You are very much so either or else short the distance or your long distance. Like Mo Farah's never going to do the 100 meters. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this is insane. It is, it is insane. Bananas. Yeah. Like, it is, like she was born without a femur. So she has a prosthetic, but she races in a wheelchair. I'm not sure. You know, we were talking before we started recording about kind of how you're categorized. Or classification. Classification. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what classification she is or how all that is done, to be honest. All I know, though, is that to go and do every single race from 100 meters all the way up to a marathon. Holy shit, In man. like two weeks or something like that, maybe? Like... Like, I know Eddie is there around, like, 58 marathons in 59 <laughs> days or something. But, I mean, this is still pretty balls out there. Like Yeah, big time. Um, she's she's an animal. I follow her on the Twitter. And uh, she wins everything. Every marathon she does, yeah, she wins. And, well, it will be interesting about this Paralympic Games, though, because in the, the shambles that I think was the Rio Games. Omni shambles. Um, <laughs> there's loads of people talking about, like, the Russian with their drug testing um, just while we're on that lads um, we started a GoFundMe for Pat Hickey <laughs> so if you want to donate it's <laughs> <laughs> with the Russians with their drug testing and then what's going to be mental with the uh, Rio games and what's come out already in the Guardian and the Times in England is that the Rio Paralympic Games kind of doping is the classification process so there's a couple of athletes um there's two uh, Great Britain athletes that would have been uh, probably they would have meddled right. at the games they've pulled out because of um, the classification process and other athletes picked ahead of them and stuff like that so it's basically people athletes pretending or when the, the when the doctor comes over the classifier comes over and says yeah you're a you're a T it's it's done in, in some sports in the race and it's done T, T1 to T4 right um, so, so blokes who should be maybe say T two are exaggerating and being classified as a T one. Some similar to that, yeah. Okay. So, so is it just a case that they're exaggerating their? Yeah, I, I could I could let's say for example if I was getting classified, I could pretend I'm more disabled than I am. Right. And they could lower my classification, but I've just deceived. And that gives the you lads. an edge. Then. Gives me a huge edge, yeah. And there's people. I could pretend that I couldn't lift a glass of water, that I couldn't clench my fist. Like three from. Like three from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> so, some uh, some wheelchair sports athletes, uh, track racing lads, some of them can't uh, close their fists. Yeah. So I could pretend that to the classifier, and then they will classify me there and then based on how I'm presented to them. Now you're classified before you go to the tournaments, but you have to meet the classifier the classifiers for each competition the day before the competition so not only because i presume like they can still take the likes of epo and whatever if they wanted but oh, then yeah. they, they can also cheat the system down this way as well yeah like, exactly they can cheat the system by crafty performance and hands and crafty drugs, or they can cheat the system from classifications yeah which has broke out in the uk with all these athlete stories nothing over here just yet just yeah. Allegedly. 
Uh, yeah, it runs for the next, what, two weeks? Channel 4 has Yeah, Channel 4's coverage, coverage is crazy. Yeah, so be sure to tune into it. The red button on Channel 4 will have every kind of sport going. Watch out for the wheelchair basketball anyway. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if you're enjoying the Paralympics, why not stay tuned? Because in October, Ballybrack Bulls will be coming to a court yes. near you. The Bulls are back. Looking forward to this season, man. Yeah, our home fixture this season is December 17th. Saturday's December 17th. So we host the league up in Lawrence's College Brilliant. in Ballyrack. Are you going to have a Christmas special? Christmas special, what? Like, it's December 17th. Oh, like. we might do, yeah. You should definitely decorate the gaff. We have a great new sponsor that I don't want to reveal just yet. But they do. His name is Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> and he will be bestowing gifts on all the boys and girls who have been good this year. <laughs> On December 17th, so make sure you come along and catch some great wheelchair basketball action. <laughs> Don't bring the kids. <laughs> um, December 17th, man. December 17th. Our league starts out in Clontarf on October 1st. Clontarf. It's Galway. Sure, sure. Beautiful. Can't wait. I'm going to go to a couple of the away games this year. Can't wait. The Bultras. The Bultras, yeah. Um, I'm going to bring a flare. I'm going to drink copious amounts of alcohol. More than likely start a fight. Possibly a riot, depending on my mood. Aim high. Aim high, exactly. Aim high, yeah. Uh, right, that's enough of housekeeping. Housekeeping. <laughs> that's sticking. That's sticking. I'm just gonna, 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 just gonna snip that and yeah. put <laughs> Angus's little sound bed every week. I'll have to pop that in. And Angus, hello. What have you got coming up first and foremost? Have you got anything coming up? Plugs. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was in rehearsals today. I'm doing a show called Traitor as part of the Tiger Dublin Fringe Festival, which is the biggest arts and culture festival on the island of Ireland. It so, is a fantastic festival. It's, it's brilliant because there's such a huge spread of stuff. Like you got everything from a show like Traitor, which I'm doing, which is a, a very much kind of a, a traditional play with a beginning, middle, and end, and actors on stage, you know, delivering a script that's been written by a writer. At a, I was going to say at a typewriter. I presume people don't use typewriters <laughs> anymore with a quill and ink. Um, no, but like, but a, re, a, a, a re, like a real writer sat down at a MacBook and typed yeah. this out and made the play. Because, um, and but then the fringe is so great because it has the huge spread. From you'll get um, kind of theatre companies doing much more devised work. You get a huge amount of stand-up comedy. You'll get a lot of dance. You get a lot of political work. A lot of queer work, um, and everything up to and including the madness of over-the-top wrestling taking oh, yeah. over the Spiegel tent. Yeah. Yes. Another great passion of mine. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, the fringe is the fringe is awesome. It's a really good spread. Um, I'm excited about trade. Like, let's actually do a real life plug. It's the yeah. second week of the fringe, so I think we kick off on the twentieth. I'm going to say 20th of September. We're in the Project Arts Centre, which is the big blue building right smack in the middle of Temple Bar, yeah. which uh, some people would know as the location of the controversial repeal mural, oh, uh, yeah, which subsequently right, yeah. came Mazers. down. Mazers. Mazers, brilliant mural, uh, which subsequently got taken down. So, yeah, no, we're kicking off in there on the 20th of September at 9 o'clock in the evening, and we'll run right through till the 24th, and we have a matinee on the 24th uh, in the afternoon at 4 o'clock. And you can get in from as little as 11 euro, lads. Bargain. That's a very good deal. Bargain. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that kind of last away it's um, nice to be back on stage how long is the Dublin. fringe going now the, in terms of years this yeah. is year 22 amazing yeah year 22 yeah. so it's grown a huge amount um, and it's like unlike the Edinburgh fringe I was just over in Edinburgh two weeks three weeks ago um, to hang out with my friend Colt Cabana oh sorry dropped the name there oh. <laughs> um, name dropper <laughs> uh, so I was over and the thing about Edinburgh Edinburgh is non-curated so if you want to do a show in Edinburgh fringe you're doing a show in Edinburgh fringe yeah. whereas you have to apply for Dublin so there's a level of quality control so the whole spirit of the fringe is about risk taking it's about taking a chance but going I would never go and see contemporary 
contemporary dance. But you know what? It's the fringe. Let's roll the dice. It's yeah. only 55 minutes long. It's only a tenor in. Let's go and see. And you go, well, I never thought I could enjoy contemporary dance or opera or play or whatever it is that you don't do. You can take a chance on stuff. So it's worth taking a chance because you know you're taking a chance in the atmosphere of it having been curated. And so there's a level of quality control there at the best times. Now, look, shows can still fall on their arse. Like, if we knew how to make a guaranteed hit show every time, I would not be sitting here to talk to you. I'd be on a yacht in the Riviera. Um, but, uh, but it's... Tommy does on Skype. Exactly. I'm getting fed grapes or something. Um, but the Fringe is a great time to get out because uh, the tickets are usually incredibly uh, competitively priced. Yeah. You get to see a lot of stuff for under a tenner even sometimes. Yeah. Um, is it like, um, like a pilot showcase as well in some ways? Or am I getting that completely wrong? You know, like pilot season. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a good chance for, for actors and writers and directors to get their work out there. Um, it's hard to make money at the Fringe because in a lot of the cases you wouldn't be playing in huge venues. So it's hard, and it's a short enough run for most people, so it'd be hard to make your money back. So it's one of those ones where it's not about commercially making thousands of pounds uh, or euros, as they now are, for like an old man. Um, <laughs> but but it's, a lot of time it can be about exposure for young artists coming through or for people who want to try out new ideas yeah. or a gang of friends who've always wanted to work together going, look, right, let's just, let's just get it done. And it, look, it's been a nice showcase for me. I mean, I've, um, I have my own theatre company called Rise Productions. And we kind of, in terms of the theatre stuff we've done, we did like primarily a, a big trilogy of plays. And the first two we played at the Fringe, um, which was a nice kind of launch pad for us to get us out there and go, oh, these are people who should be taken seriously, basically, rather than just some guy doing vanity publishing, putting yeah. on a play, in, you know, in his own bedroom going, hi, guys. <laughs> so, it's, so there's an element of legitimacy that comes along with it. So it's been, it's been a huge help to me over the years. I've been, this has been my sixth. Yeah, 2010 was my first Fringe, so it's my, my sixth year being involved with the Fringe, so it's nice to be back. Uh, and juggling two shows this year between, oh. uh, between Traitor and, of course, the good folks at uh, OTT, which I'm very excited about too. Tell us a bit about OTT in terms of live shows. I firmly believe that OTT, Over the Top Wrestling, um, which is an over-18s wrestling promotion here in Dublin, I firmly believe that it is the best crack anyone will have uh, in Dublin, anywhere. It's, uh, again, very keenly priced. You get in for about 12 quid. Um, they do cheap booze there. You can get, like, three cans for a tenner. It's a classic. Bargain, lads. But then, Bargain. Not, pizza. Like, yeah, pizza as well, which is, Sorry, I mean, what? like, you have a couple of hours of wrestling, a couple of cans. The one thing you need is a couple of slices of pizza at that Definitely. stage. And uh, it's phenomenal. It's just, it's the best crack. The way I kind of describe it to people is it's a fusion of the best of the acrobatics of Cirque du Soleil with the edgy comedy of rubber bandits with kind of the fabulous glamour of Panty and the badass swagger of Conor McGregor getting into a fight. Like, it's all of those put into a big ball and rattled around. Beautiful. Um, it's got goosebumps. Because <laughs> I've been to two shows yeah, and that's so you perfectly... Know that's perfectly... Uh, a perfect analogy of the whole, the whole well, thing. Yeah, for me, the whole spirit of OTT is the spirit of the fringe. It's about risk taking. You know, as I say to people, there's not much more of a risk you can take than doing a backflip off the top rope into a yeah. sixteen stone man who's trying to kick you in the face. The, um, the show on Saturday now it's called Wrestling as Art. Yeah. And so I, just to explain to listeners about the art aspect of wrestling. Is it art or like you know you'd have kind of people that don't watch it and they're kind of they'd be quite critical of it you know sure well for an awful lot of people wrestling is bodybuilders in spandex and baby oil saying I'm gonna get you this Sunday brother <laughs> um, and and for a lot of people it's Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant or it's Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks or even maybe for some people it's Stone Cold and The Rock um, and you think it's it's these steroid pumped bodybuilders play fighting 
Um, so uh, for me, it's infinitely more sophisticated than that. Um, and it was, I had an interesting epiphany, if you will, uh-huh. back when I was in my early 20s and I was in drama school training to be an actor. Um, and my kid brother gave me The Rock's autobiography, uh, who is now, uh, The Rock is, of course, now Dwayne Johnson, who is the highest paid actor in Hollywood, uh, in the world, I guess. Mm, yeah. um, but the book is god awful. It's dreadful. It's ghost written to fuck, and it, it's kind of not great. <laughs> but. Rocky is a third-generation wrestler, and I'm sitting there as a third-generation actor reading through this book, and I'm just seeing the parallels. Now, admittedly, I am not six foot six and 285 pounds of ripped, chiseled Samoan <laughs> god. I'm close, but I'm not quite there. What would you describe yourself as? I'm six foot and 225 of Port Marnock goodness right here, baby. It's as good as it gets. Um, so... Uh, so, so the similarities might not be immediately obvious to everybody, but for me, it was really clear. Uh, and I realized that essentially they do the same job I do. They just kind of get kicked Physical. in the head an awful lot more yeah. often. So in the, the whole thing about it being art, like, here's the thing. So people are, the, the, the cat is out of the bag now. Spoiler alert, wrestling is predetermined. Okay? <gasps> dun, so, dun, dun. Exactly. so uh, from the time that, it's interesting how it came out, because for a long time, Everybody knew, but the, within the business, it was, it was fiercely protected. Yeah. Um, and what happened was when Vince was going to get done for steroids um, in the WWF, as it then was. The, the, the Hulk Hogan thing? Yeah, when Hogan was ah. going to testify and all that. And essentially, Vince was faced with an option. Um, he could maintain what they call kayfabe and, and the pretense that the business was an absolute 100% legitimate sporting contest. Yeah. Uh, and as such, that was be, to do with the commissions, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly. And as such, you need, to be, you need to be regulated by those commissions, and those commissions will then drug test you, and you'll see, and so all that opens up. Or alternatively, he could hold his hands up, come clean, and go, do you know what? This isn't sport. It's sports entertainment. And as such, these are closer to Hollywood performers than they are yeah. um, athletes. And so therefore, if they choose to take steroids, that's their own business as um, physique enhancement rather than you know cheating or doping, as we understand it in the sports yeah. context. Now, I, I'm aware that, look, I'm not a pro wrestler. Uh, so I need to be very careful how I talk about this because people get really, really sensitive about it. People in the business get really sensitive about it. And particularly when people use the word fake, um, it's a real trigger word for people. And, yeah. and that might seem like, well, what are they getting so worked up about? And you go, well, look, you look at someone like, um, like Justin Shape, who works for OTT, and he'll tell you why the word fake uh, gets to him so much. It's because he was lying strapped to a bed with his neck shattered, wondering if he was ever going to walk again from taking an injury in the ring. That's pretty fucking real. Yeah. Look at Darren um, Drozdov. Yeah, does. exactly. Yeah, yeah. look. You know. so even look at the example, friend of the show, Shane Balor. Yeah. Goes and wins the Universal Championship the very first time, and in that match, wrecks his shoulder. Yeah, and is now looking at least, at least six months out. So, yeah. uh, so look, it, it is real. Like the bumps are the bumps are real, and so that, and so I'm just saying I need to be careful about how I talk about it because I, like, yeah. I, I have a deep love of the business. Um, as it happens, I. I did train a good bit back in the day when a friend of the show, Finn Balor, and, uh, and Paul Tracy opened the school in Bray, which was the first ever training school in Ireland. Um, I walked through their doors on day one and, and yeah. trained with them for a number of months. And then career-wise, thankfully, things took off for me and I had to step back. Um, but I've subsequently been back training with the OTT guys uh, out in MSW for the last, for over a year now. Uh, basically, I went to my first OTT show and was blown away by it. 
um, absolutely loved it. Couldn't believe it because I, I had heard about them when they were launching, and they kept on pushing that this was this was over 18s. It was over 18s. It wasn't PG. It was over 18s. And I'm going. That's going to be cheese graters and light tubes and hardcore wrestling, which I have no interest in. And this is why, because there's no art in that. Anyone can take a light tube to the head. Yeah. There's no skill in that. You stand there and someone smashes a light tube over your head. So there's no skill or art in that. Where the artistry really is, is where I can pretend to punch you in the head. You can pretend that it really hurts. And we elicit a massive response from the audience. Or, like, I mean, Undertaker, like, who was a very famous wrestler in, in WWE, has this great line. He's going, some guys need to do a backflip off the top of a cage to get, like, a big pop from the audience. I can get it from simply raising my fist. And it's true. Like, someone like, okay, yeah. like, they understand what they refer to as ring psychology, which, in terms of my business, it's just storytelling. Like, that, like actors, theatre makers, we're just storytellers. Human beings have an innate need for storytelling. And whether you get that among 200 people in a church on a Sunday, or whether you get that sense of community in 82,000 people in Croker on a Sunday, or whether you get it in a theatre, like, seeing these stories, pe- people have that need to come together and be taken on that roller coaster. And that's what wrestling does for them. So, yeah, so I, um, I went there... I didn't go for the first few shows because I don't want anything to do with that I presumed it was going to be hardcore my brother eventually dragged me along Um, I said look we'll go went in blown away instantly went up to the guys in charge and said I need to co-promote I need to co-produce I need to do something with you Um, and they just saw a crazy drunken fan going hey I want to be a wrestler so (laughs) they kind of went yeah yeah find us on Facebook it'll be grand Um, so uh, but within six months um, I was hosting last year's Fringe I was kind of brought in a special guest host um, and by that stage I had already started training with them and I had brought the the great Luther Ward current OTT champ in to choreograph the fights on the last Rise production so that we did for the Dublin Theatre Festival last year. Um, so, Brilliant. So he, he put together all our fights. Yeah. So I've kind of been working closely with them for about 18 months now. Um, it's incredible. And there is a huge amount of art to it. it. And the way you started that conversation was about The Rock's autobiography. Yeah. I mean, he was one of the best sports entertainers and now he's one of the best actors. So it crosses. Yeah, and cross so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and take his spot as being one of the best wrestlers. Now. That's my intention. I'm going to be six eight and two eighty five of Samoan God very soon. Um, but you see the crossovers there, and there's there was a lot like not many, but a lot of pro wrestlers over the last twenty or so years have tried the act, and and some of them have proven success, some of them haven't proven. Yeah, success. I mean yeah. different ones have done it. You know, um, Terry Funk has done it enough of it. Piper or Roddy Piper originally did it um, as well, and did, exactly, and did, and did quite a bit. Um, Hogan obviously has done it quite a bit, and yeah. I mean even even WWE with their own studios and stuff now. Um, they're kind of churning stuff out. I mean, have you watched many of their stuff? I've, I've seen I, some of them. Look, they're grand. They are what they are. They are. They're kind of they're, they're old school Hollywood B movies. They're, they're directed. Recently sat through the chaperone with Triple H. Yeah, I, that's <laughs> one I haven't watched. I watched it. Oh, I re- yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a Saturday afternoon, pissing rain. I stuck it on. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't too out of wasn't ten. offensive. I just it wasn't offensive. I just. Yeah, waiting for Triple H to turn into Triple H, though. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like because but that's the team. Because when they're a lot of them in the last ten years have that have been involved in the WWE studio ones, they are like their character because they're selling it. Like yeah, that. yeah. Like yeah. the Kane one. What was the Cena Evil? Or yeah, something? yeah. And, yeah, and they know. Right, look, yeah. they know what they're doing with that as well. That's about cashing in on on the branding that you have as an existing intellectual property. Why not leverage yeah. it and blah blah? And you understand that from a business point of view. But look, Vince became a billionaire out of a business that you know you know by rights should be totally outdated and should be should have fallen by the wayside he, t- he turned it into this massive global corporation it's like yeah. he's say what you like about him he's a, he's a phenomenal businessman mm. um 
you know, so I mean, look, it is what it is. But it's uh, but these guys as performers, um, the guys and girls are, are incredible there's an artistry to it. It is incredible, like the, and the, the athleticism that it takes as well. Like. Well, this is the thing. I know I was talking earlier about kind of how they didn't want to be classified as athletes. Yeah. Holy Jesus, the level of athletic prowess yeah. in the ring. I mean, certainly yes in WWE, but even here as well. I mean, if you see the guys working OTT shows. Um, now, obviously, the workload here in Ireland, because the population is so small, is mm-hmm. not as demanding as the, the five days a week on the road with WWE. Um, but, you know, these guys to still go through, to put their bodies through what they do um, is is phenomenal. And and also, just the connection with the crowd. The, the storytelling those guys do is yeah. is brilliant. It's it Genuinely, it is the best it, crack you'll have. It is. And I, the way it combines things, like, like, I mean, we're talking about the Paralympics and the Olympics that are being on recently, like, you're going to see things that you would see on the gymnastics floor. You see acts of strength that you would see in the powerlifting floor. You see the technical ability that you would see in Olympic wrestling. And on top of all that, you see the storytelling and the way they put all that together. Like you would if you were treading the boards and if you were going to a play. It just all comes together seamlessly. It's incredible. Like, And people, I know people can kind of dismiss it almost because, oh, yeah, wrestling. And as you said, the, the fake term yeah. that gets thrown around. But, like, genuinely, they're is an art form to it and if you just take it for what it is and appreciate the skill and the work that's in it man it's incredible what they're achieving like yeah and I, I think the fundamental thing is people look at it as they go it's a kids thing it's for kids you know it's and, and so it's low brow and whatever else mm-hmm. and you go sure yeah kind of you can argue that and I get where you're going with it. but the idea is think of it as a panto for grown ups yeah. go in let your hair down. And you know what? Have a good time. Like, I I, don't, I wouldn't have a huge amount of time for an awful lot of wrestling fans on the internet because you get an awful lot of wrestling nerds. Pretty, yeah, exactly. They can be pretty heavy Marks. going. That's they go. Yeah, Marks. they can be pretty heavy going. And they just take it all so seriously. It's like, lads, relax. We're yeah. having a good time. There's a good guy there we're cheering. There's a bad guy there we're booing. Like, I mean, the thing for me is it comes back to the, the fundamental building blocks of storytelling. Like, what, what it, you know, anyone who did junior cert English will remember that the essence of drama is conflict. You don't yeah. get a more pure distillation of conflict than two fellas kicking their head off each other in the middle of the ring. It's good versus evil. That's the story you're telling. Now, you can put different frills around. You can go, he stole my girlfriend or he's chasing my title or yeah. this guy, you know, interfered in my match and cost me my chance at redemption and now we're going to go and so like this you can spin those stories anyway you want but fundamentally good versus evil in the middle of the ring it's conflict and it's awesome what what do you think um, from an artistic point of view when you're watching the bigger brands and you know you're saying there you follow good versus evil what what when you're watching it and you're given a character that you're supposed to cheer that's supposed to be marketed as a good guy and let's say that that isn't going across to the fans. Roman Reigns. <laughs> yeah. Is that a is that a failure? Like in terms of the producer, the, the director. You know, if it's not coming across to the guy at home, you as a director, how would you approach that? Well, I think you got to look at it in a few different ways. I mean, in terms of in terms of the pro wrestling product that gets packaged, if you think the amount of people involved, you got a performer there who may or may not be carrying off what he's being asked to carry. Yeah, because off. if you're doing that in the theater and you yeah. have a baddie. It's going to transcend. Like the the, the people in the theatre are going to say, "All right, this guy's a baddie." Yeah, and also there's that there's been a shift in pro wrestling now. Whereas in the theatre, you walk in and there is that suspension of disbelief. You go, "I'm going to go in. I'm going to sit down." Yeah. And for the next two and a half hours, I'm going to go with this story. Same way as you don't go in to see a stand-up and go, right, go on, make me laugh. Now, you go, in, you go in hoping to have a good time. Yeah. You've paid your 25 quid. You want to enjoy yourself. So similarly with the theatre and similarly with, with the wrestling, I would like people to go in and just enjoy it. But you get an awful lot of people now, these kind of 
people who refer to themselves as smart marks and you go on like it's an oxymoron so smart the idea you've been smartened up to the business you know how it works and mark being the word for fan which comes from the old school carnival system where they would like a mark is a target because it's it's a con job yeah. and in the old days when we when we were pretending that wrestling was real it was a con job it's not so much anymore but that's why we still refer to them as marks because the guys that had the money that you could go and hit to you know for the amusements and the, the carny games were literally marked with chalk or whatever so that you would know he's the guy with enough money in his wallet that it's worth well, you know trying that. to get him in it's interesting so that's where that all comes from uh, and so the idea that you can be a smart mark doesn't exist. You can't. You can't be both. Hmm. Um, and any anyone who hasn't worked in the business of pro wrestling ever and refers to themselves as anything other than or people. Oh man, what it really annoys me. You get people on online, and they call other wrestling fans marks, and you're going, "You're an <laughs> idiot." How can you sit there as a mark calling someone else a mark and using it yeah. as a term of abuse? Like, you're, you're an idiot. So um, so what you do is you get these people now who kind of go, no, well, in fact, I know better and Kevin Owens should have the belt or Finn Balor or some Japanese obscure guy that nobody knows should have the belt because he's a much better wrestler than John Cena. You go, yeah, have you any idea of the numbers that John Cena does for Vince in terms of ratings, in terms of T-shirt yes. sales, in terms of appearances on Good Morning America, in terms of crossover onto Stephen Colbert's show? What like whatever you want yeah. to come, you are entitled to your opinion, but that doesn't mean you're right. Like I can sit there and go, oh, I kind of wish that Bruce Willis hadn't, uh, that, that, you know, Alan Rickman had thrown Bruce Willis off the, off the Nakatomi at the end of Die Hard rather than the other way around. <laughs> like I can That's think that of me, Of course it's blasphemous. <laughs> because, because here's the thing, right? When it comes to movies and TV, we have the sense to just go, sit the fuck down, shut the fuck up, and let the director, the actor, and the scriptwriter, and the production team give you the experience that they've chosen to put together. Yeah. And I think fans, or marks, would do an awful lot better if they just had that kind of approach to the rest and go, just go with it. Relax. Yeah. Don't think you know better than other people. Now, that doesn't mean that the product, you, you particularly can't. the WWE, puts out is always perfect. Because yeah. it ain't. Right? Like, you know? we, can, we can all hypothesize and say, now what I think would be good, but don't sit yeah. there and act as if... Exactly. And, um, and it's funny, because it is a spillover from sport as well that we if we sat down here and there was an Ireland soccer 11 start in a match all three of us might have a different opinion on what the starting 11 should be no 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 yeah. don't play him there stick him out in the wing he hasn't got the pace or, or whatever you want to do um, so it's nice that people kind of feel the ownership of it um, but I think people should kind of just relax but in terms of people not getting over as they say people not getting it across as the good guy that could be a combination of the performer just not having the charisma or the performer, performer not being cast particularly well you has it ever happened in a, in a theatre show? you get guys miscast all the time yeah. you get well you get guys different people have different skill sets obviously you can play mm. to your strengths and some guys are more suited for some roles than others and if you got someone like I mean famously Roman Reigns at the moment is in WWE and the whole talk is that he's been rammed down people's throats and Vince is trying to get him over as this real baby face good guy and everything's wonderful and the fans don't want it because they feel they're being force fed him yeah. now is that a critique on his charisma as a performer is it that it's a bad fit for him playing a good guy character and in fact because he's you know he looks the way he looks he should be playing a bad guy is it that the the creative team aren't giving him the scripts to get that stuff across is it that the matches are being booked or choreographed in a way that isn't telling that story effectively who knows i mean there's so many links in that chain that to try and pinpoint where the problem is is really hard to do i mean i think from my perspective fundamentally if you're a reasonably talented performer you should be able to get 
most stuff across. Obviously, there's some like the gobbledygooker is going to be a hard gimmick to get over. <laughs> shall we say <laughs> any wrestling fans out there for a particular vintage? Um, or you know, the same for me. If I like, if the, if someone hands me a script and it's just shit, yeah, like it's hard to polish a turd sometimes. Um, but you would hope that through a combination of factors, like a good director is going to step in and go, right, look, we don't have a solid foundation to work on here. So what we're going to, if the script is rubbish, we're going to find a way between your natural charisma as a performer, my vision for what we're going to do with this whole thing, we get the design team in, we'll have loads of flashing lights and we can pull something out of the bag here. Yeah. Like there's ways and means around it. Is, is it. is it hard as well to maintain a certain level of quality per week as well? Like, like, oh, in terms of WWE product, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but even in terms of theatre actor, theatre writing or television well, writing. Well I, well, I think... I know, you the, know. Different, uh, the different serial dramas, I like to call them, soaps. Serial <laughs> um, <laughs> fucking City, The best serial drama ever. Absolutely, categorically. Um, That's they, a fact. That's not an opinion. That is a fact. They have different writers, say, every three months or so. Yeah. So, like, with pro wrestling, with WWE Raw, like, on SmackDown, there's five hours per week of material yeah that's five hours of writing yeah surely absolutely. that's a struggle no it's way too much and 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 the, the example i'll give you is people go oh my god love hate is the greatest show of all time how can rt make this be so good and fair city so shit and you go okay we'll take it back as fair city is not shit it is the greatest serial drama of all time <laughs> hashtag fact um <laughs> We go, okay, but look at what's happening there. Yeah. Fair City has to churn out two hours of drama a week. Yeah. Love Hate was churning out six hours of drama in a 12-week shoot, probably. So they were, they were effectively making half an hour of television a week, whereas Fair City's making two hours a week. So they were working four times faster. So you don't have as many takes to get the acting across. You don't have as long to sit down and mull over the scripts. Like it's, it's conveyor belt territory to some extent. And to, and to a large degree, the Irish soaps between Red Rock and Fair City and Ross Naroon, um, they, they maintain a pretty high standard. They really do. Um, and what are effectively minimal budgets compared to the UK soaps. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely, if you have to churn out that much in that short a space of time, it's difficult. You don't have the luxury of time. There's a friend of mine, Megan Reardon, who's an actress. People saw her on the sides of buses all summer. She's the girl from Once. Um, and she, her line is, um, there are three legs to the stool, and you can be short on one as long as you have enough of the other two. And the three legs are money, time, and talent. So if you have loads of money and loads of time, you don't need a huge amount of talent. You'll get it over the board. But if you don't have any time, which have loads of money and loads of talent, you'll get away with it. Or if you've no money, if you've the time, I've done all three combinations. If you've no money, but you have the time and you have the talent, you'll get it there. Um, but the problem is with with soaps and with you know you talk about WWE, you talk about three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, um, another hour of NXT, plus probably a three or four hour um, pay per view now every single month. Yeah, it's um, a lot, isn't it? Yeah, to try and to, well, even just to have enough storylines of feuds that people would be interested in um, and how you structure that between opening matches, mid-tier stuff and then the big main eventers. It's hard to do. Do you think so the you... hour of NXT has made it successful then? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's like James Dean or John Lennon. What, a lot of people prefer John Lennon to Paul McCartney okay, yeah. because John, Levin, John Lennon never became middle-aged and made wings. So you, if, you, <laughs> if you die young enough, you don't get to do the boring shit you do in middle age. And that's why so Lennon is dead and is pristine and untouched. But yeah. McCartney stayed a real man. And, you know, just over time, you're going to fuck shit up, basically. Um, <laughs> so you get with NXT, uh, in and out in an hour, it feels like two when I'm watching it. Like, yeah, because so you, so you, you keep cream of the crop. Yeah, you just, so, it's all all killer, no filler. 
So if the I love that all Carano filler. If there's an element of say overkill in with that product, how would something like because people listen to this have obviously just missed OTT's fringe show. Yes. So for example, if WWE put now so much content per week, what or how often do OTT put out? So like when will OTT next have something? Yeah, we well OTT runs shows. Segway to a plug. It's nice. It's beautiful. OTT run. It's seamless. In fact, <laughs> what we should definitely do is right. Let's not draw attention to it, and then we'll totally get away with it. <laughs> um, so but, never. So we always draw attention. Always. We always, <laughs> we always draw the Segway. Anything we can. We're can't. getting t-shirts. Segway City. <laughs> nice. Didn't the guy who designed Segways die on a he Segway? Went over a cliff on a Segway. Playing, no, po- playing, playing Pokemon Go on a Segway. Yeah, true story, man. No, it's true story. Playing Pokemon Go. No, yeah. not playing Pokemon Go. But oh, no, we, oh, but legitimately, Mr. Segway yeah. went segwayed off the edge of a fucking ah, cliff. Do you not know that? No. Unbelievable. True story. So, OTT runs ballpark every five or six weeks throughout the year. Start okay. to finish January to December. Uh, and the shows, apart from when we're on the road in places like Little This Dolan's, year it's been monthly, though, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just, just about. There was no... August show or was it August yeah we ran the Razor Ramon night yeah, instead um, so uh, who is I have to say one of the nicest guys I've come across in the wrestling business ever wonderful wonderful guy really? Scott Hall absolute gent he's off the wagon again isn't he uh, I, think it, I think he has his struggles but he's doing alright and I think if it's only booze maybe it's not so bad this time around yeah. um, but he, he's yeah so we kind of run every five or six weeks pretty much monthly there'll be a show a show per month. Um, and so the ones coming up uh, in October, we have what we're calling WrestleCon, which will be a double header, two shows back to back, which will have uh, a mix of the very best of Irish talent, like people's favourites, like Martina, the Session Martin, the lads from the flats, and um, the Gymnasties, and, and Logan Bryce, and, and of course the Wards. Kings of the North. Kings of the North as well. Yeah. Boo hiss. <laughs> um, also, we'll have the, the British talent that we usually have in terms of the Pete Dunns, the Ryan Smiles of the world. Um, and also, there's a huge amount of American names coming over for that as well. So Brilliant. for you know people like Chris Hero, who'd be a big independent star, Melina, who men yeah. out there yeah. might remember yeah. as a very special presence in WWE programming, and in terms of Hall of Famers, in terms of legends, X Pac himself, Sean Walton Sean is coming Walton. over. Wow! Uh, and there'll be meet and greets with everybody for those as well. So I mean, you can get up close and personal, get photos taken, and if I, if I'm a betting man, they'll probably be drinking in the Gypsy Rose afterwards as <laughs> yeah. well. So, um, no, so I would, yeah, I would get get tickets fast as well because they do. Yeah. yeah, and particularly with this one, um, it, the the business on it has been has been crazy. I'm pretty sure that the VIPs over both nights because uh, they're doing packages for both nights and then standalone tickets for individual nights because not all of the big names are working both shows. Um, so it's uh, it's worth checking out, but it's going to be exceptional stuff. Really how, exceptional. how much like so people want to buy a ticket now? I think you can get in for something like. 13 or 15 single yeah. night yeah. No, you get them in uh, Eventbrite Eventbrite, Eventbrite yeah. Yeah. I mean look OTT's all over Facebook and Twitter you search out over the top wrestling OTT you'll find them Facebook, Twitter yeah. online, everywhere and I've been get to two it. shows I'll be tomorrow meet Melina meet the 123 kid unbelievable techers 123 kid, one, two, three kid. Right. Yeah. Um, you were saying there at the start about you, you being a tour generation actor um, was that something kind of consciously that you wanted to get into acting like did it play on your mind at there all? was never a choice for me really oh Jesus no no there was only ever going to be one way um, yeah from the time I was no age like the time I was four I was going yeah that's it I'm going to be an actor that's it end of story um, it's it, you know it's the family business um, like so going back through the generations my granddad was Ray McAnally who by the time he died he died at 63 terrible like weirdly like that young who by um, the way is in the greatest film of all time 
I'm going to go with my, my left, foot. left foot. Yeah, absolutely. Christy, Christy, Christy Brown's Spire. dad. Um, and like by, the time, by the time he died, he had, uh, he'd won three Best Actor BAFTAs. Like, really? Which is, you know, like three British Academy Awards is pretty serious going. Yeah. Um, his wife was Ronnie Masterson, who again was, a, you know, our career spanned eight decades and was a member of the Abbey Company and all that. Uh, so my grandparents met on the Abbey stage. My parents met on the Abbey stage. Well, your parents did as well. Met on yeah, the Abbey stage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They went I didn't in. know your father was an actor. Yeah, no, my, my, mom, my mom was in the Abbey Company uh, and my dad was kind of drafted in to do like an Irish language panto or something like that. And, uh, and so they met there as well. Um, and, and, and even in the rest of like my, my dad's brother is a TV director and is now like was a big hotshot in London is now in the States um, his sister my aunt was a TV director as well like every, everyone's in the, in the business yeah, it's, it's in the all, blood it's yeah, yeah. Um, so it's actually funny talking about the Olympics and stuff my, the other side of the family is all athletics my, so my other granddad wow. my other granddad is Billy Morton of Morton Stadium in Santry fame shut so up <laughs> exactly so the stadium's I, named after your grandfather yeah I mean he effectively like he arranged all like that's all him that wouldn't exist without him I spent Shit many a season there with Shamrock Rovers yeah you come so, from some stable man yeah I, yeah, I only got the genes from one side of the family though clearly <laughs> as you've seen from my wrestling career um, or God. non-existent wrestling career yeah so I mean so yeah there's there's big names to conjure with on both sides of the family and your grandfather was in the mission with Robert De Niro yeah like he did a couple of movies with De Niro him and De Niro were mates this is the thing that's really weird that is amazing it's man. like it's awesome so he did a movie called We're No Angels with Sean Penn and Demi Moore and Robert De Niro as well and then the mission famously which just has like you know Jeremy Irons and Liam Neeson yeah. and, and De Niro and all the heads but interestingly after me granddad died my dad got his car and the car was broken into one Patrick's Day so it must have been Patrick's Day ni- 1990 um, and it was broken into and the car was taken but I think we got it back I think we got the car back but cut to a week later because there was a lot of st- a lot of my granddad's stuff was in the boot of the car cut to a week later there's a, a woman teaching in a school on Sheriff Street and a kid comes in and goes, Miss, I found this cassette tape. I don't know what it is. Hands it over to her. She goes, I have no idea what this is, but I'll take a listen to it. Turns it on. I say, hey, Ray, Bobby here. Uh, I just got, it, was the, it was the cassette tape from my granddad's 1989 answering machine with voicemails from De Niro. No <laughs> way. Are you yeah. joking? Yeah, no, they were proper mates because they used to slag each other because De Niro is full method. And would be, and like, so for any of those big emotional scenes in the mission, would be up from five o'clock in the morning, crying his eyes out and not eating for days, and all the stuff that those kind of method actors do to get there. Whereas my De Niro was that, like, oh, he's the real deal, yeah. Yeah, like, I know, like, the song, like, Day Lewis is like insane for it. Yeah, but I mean, he's, yeah, he's a particular, yeah, but I didn't realize De Niro goes deep like that. He He wasn't his his day, I wouldn't say he was for me, yeah, not maybe not for me, the parents, (laughs) that's that's a a fair part of family. But my granddad famously was like incredibly technical to the point where my granddad was doing a movie once and uh, he did this incredible take on a scene. The director was going, I can't believe it, that's the best acting I've ever seen in my life, but we can't use it because it doesn't match up with the other shots we've done, so we can't cut it together. He said, what's the problem? He says, well, it's just, it's the crying. We can't match, the crying won't work. We won't watch it. He goes, tell me what you need. He goes, what? Tell me what you need. And my granddad, just showing off at this stage, goes, I'll tell, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make the tear well up in my eye on this line. I'll make the tear roll across my eyelid on this word. And on this word, it'll cascade down my cheek. Is that specific enough for you? The director goes, fuck off, Ray. Don't be talking shit. And he goes, Roll the cameras, went out, bang, 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 knocks it out of the park. Holy like, shit. That man. level of technical control. Whoa. Like, you know, stupid. Now, look, I love hearing stories about my granda because every story starts the same, which is I worked with your granda. He was one of the greatest actors of all time. And 
And then it goes one of two ways. It's either and one of the nicest fellows I ever met or and he was a total bollocks. <laughs> and I don't care which way the story goes because either way you're getting a good story out of it. That's um, amazing, man. Yeah, like it's crazy stuff. But yeah, no, he was really good mates with De Niro um, right the way along. And like he, he, like he worked with ludicrous people. My dad yeah. did a documentary on him. I watched it years ago. Yeah, yeah. and it's... it's it's really interesting to hear other people talk about him because you don't make like like proper heavyweights of world cinema yeah. weighing in on this guy, and you kind of and all all you do when you look at it is you go, why did he have to die at sixty three? I mean, like he was yeah. just hitting his stride in terms of the Hollywood stuff. He had just signed his first million dollar contract when he died. And if you think a million dollars in nineteen eighty nine, yeah, that's did I read as well? He starts to play Bull McCabe in the well, field. Yeah, he'd originated the role on stage. He was the original Bull, um, and certainly the feeling like, of it at the time, Hanuk, yeah. People would have felt at the time that there was no one else to do it for the for the the movie version other than him, and usually the problem is that you get these great stage actors and they can't translate it to film at all. It just it's because they're very different skill sets, uh, and so luckily in this case it was a situation where absolutely the guy who was the iconic theatre bull would be absolutely the man to do it on screen. I think they had shot some of it. Yeah, or, or, it's, or or got close to shooting some of it uh, when he obviously unfortunately died. Now again, look, the movie went on and became a great movie in its own right, and it's again it's another great performance there. But um, yeah, he was he was in line to do that. Yeah. I remember watching the documentary. It was it was in Irish, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was on TG Car. I, I remember the subtitles because um, I'm not fluent. <laughs> but I remember um, I remember your father was saying in it that he had always pleaded with your grandfather to calm down. With the work, because he was told about his heart. Yeah, I mean, look, he'd had a couple of bypasses by the time he died. Um, you know, he uh, he hadn't had the healthiest of lives in the world, you know. Um, and man, it's funny, actors do that. I, I do it as well. I mean, talk about Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks has now developed diabetes from the the changes he put his body through for different movies. So, like, things like Castaway, yeah. where you're going to pile on a few pounds and then cut it all down man, to get down Tom again. Hanks. He's great. He's an exceptional actor. Like, he is I, an exceptional actor. I would watch Tom Hanks just opening doors for yeah. an hour and a half. Like I love him. Yeah, he's brilliant. But I, but I, I see. I get guilty of it myself. Like the first show we did with Rise, my company was a show called Fight Night, which is a show about a boxer, and I'm playing like a 28 year old, 29 year old middleweight you boxer. Shaved my head. Shaved my head and uh, and cut a huge amount of weight to get ready for. That. I need to need to get the middleweight, uh, and I don't walk around at middleweight <laughs> as as you might have noticed. <laughs> Um, and that's and you know any normal person would go oh wow it's incredible I'm in the best shape of my life I've just had it like so I mean for that first one because I'd never boxed before I had to do double the standard training fight camp of, of a Jesus, pro fighter yeah. like, I did, like I did three months solid um, and got relatively alright at the end of it and, and got in pretty good shape uh, but rather than maintain that shape I went now that this show is finished I could have red wine and cheese again and had a lot of red wine and cheese problem was the show was really successful and came back for an awful lot of touring <laughs> so I had to get back in shape again and what I would do is and I would crash again each time the show would come up um, and, and get back into this phenomenal shape for the show and then undo it again and for the last one for the last international tour we did um, I only had five weeks to do it and five weeks is tight and in, wow. that, like, and in that five weeks, essentially, I just tw- I trained every 12 hours for five weeks, nonstop. Wow. So you get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and train, 7 o'clock in the evening you train, 7 o'clock in the morning you train, so, and just that goes straight for, for five weeks. But I cut like 20 pounds in those five weeks. I cut four inches off my chest. I cut five inches off my waist and got back into fight shape again. Um, and like and that and the thing is like and so I won awards for fight night. I won like best actor awards and all this kind of stuff and best play. And you'd like to think that it was for this incredibly talented, beautiful, emotional performance you give. 
I, like there is a kind of Hollywood mythology about kind of these method actors doing stuff. And people looked at me and went, holy shit, look at Angus McAnally. He's after cutting all this weight. He's after turning himself into a boxer. Um, let's give him the award for that. The Christian Bale factor. It is the Christian Bale factor. Yeah. And I, and it's why I look at it. And, I, and that kind of, I, I don't have much time for, for the method acting stuff. Like to some extent, whatever gets you through the night, whatever, whatever you need to get that performance out, great, go and do it. Do you think it's too intense? I do. Well, I think it's, I, do you know I think it's too intense. I know it's too intense sometimes, and I know it damages people sometimes. Um, but also, it's bullshit. Because my great line in life, follow your logic through. Just follow your logic through. So you want to say to me, like sometimes you get directors going, do you know what? In this scene, actually slap them across the face. We won't tell them. We'll get a real authentic response. It'll be authentic. And you're going, cool, great. Follow your logic through. And in the final scene when he has to cry about his dead mother, you're going to have to actually go murder the man's mother and drag her corpse in by the hair onto the set and go, now, motherfucker, cry over this. <laughs> Follow your logic through. Either yes. you trust the craft of an actor to, to pretend that it's real, or you don't. And it's like it's people like these movie directors who cast um, real people in their movies. Uh, and you go, okay, you, so you've got all these people, play, like real people, real local people from the area playing these roles. Cool, okay, why are your two leads names in cinema? Why, why are they like big stars? Yeah. Like either you trust that you get the most authentic performance from real, local, authentic, salt-of-the-earth people, or you don't. Either, if, trust them with the fucking lead role then. The point is you don't trust them with the lead role because they don't have the skill set to pull it off. Anyone, you can get one performance out of anybody. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I can go and find anybody and go okay so who are you okay great if you are a wheelchair basketball player we're going to do a story about wheelchair basketball we're going to do this and, and like and we could get a really good performance out of you but it's but it's being able to give he didn't <laughs> well, I'm, I'm raging they, they overlooked me for avatar uh, it's, uh, <laughs> that fake wheelie he's not even in a wheelchair that's dope <laughs> but, you know, but like so like you can get one performance out of anybody but that doesn't make them an actor yeah, you know, there's there's a skill set. Like the whole point of being an actor is that one week I can be Hollywood heartthrob, not that that happens that often, and the next week I can be you know mustache twirling villain, and the next week I'm cancer patient in a bed or whatever. Do you think then the whole people being typecast is that a case of maybe directors not trusting them, or they're just so fucking good at one particular, like one guy who I absolutely love watching, Daniel Bruhl, love watching that guy. What's he in? He's in um, Inglorious Bastards. He's in um, what's the Formula One film? Nicky Hunt and James Lauder. What was that called? Rush. 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 He oh, was I know the talking about. Um, but he seems to be almost pigeonholed into playing this kind of—I don't want to say like evil person—but he always has this element of badness about him. Like, yeah, I mean, you can get guys with you get you get performers with a certain quality. Like, you know, um, and so then if you if you go, like, so you look at someone like Charlize Theron, who's this beautiful woman who's glamorous and elegant and all that stuff, and then she goes and does a movie like Monster, and we give her a prosthetic nose, and we kind of make her ugly, in inverted yeah. commas. People go, oh my God, it's such a revelation, such courage and such bravery to be ugly in a movie. And you're going, really? That's courage and bravery? Nicholas Cage was in every film. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> man, Nick Cage, what a man. Um, so so I, I don't, yeah, I don't have I don't have too much time for that, but again... You know, but in terms of the typecasting thing, uh, Hollywood can be incredibly conservative. And also, yeah. look, look. Essentially, film and TV is incredibly conservative in the casting. So, for example, if you think of any of the dramas that you've seen in Ireland uh, on on the big screen or the small screen, 
you can be pretty much guaranteed that Tom Von Lawler, Peter Coon, and um, Tobias. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> the, and the girls. So you look at something like Rebellion, you got Sarah Green, you got Ruth Bradley, you got the guy. Like, yeah. that, that is not, they're all my mates, and I love them, and they are really good actors. So it's yeah, no very talented people. It's, it's no but, knock on them. Yeah. But you're going, so really, you got the same people starring in like three shows in a row, four in season, shows like, in a row, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what one of the, crit- the criticisms was about Rebellion. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like love, I, hate in the 20s. Exactly. And I think, I think audiences are smarter now. Like, we don't live in two-channel land anymore. Does, does that happen? Hey, does um, that happen in theatre as much as you think the whole typecast? Is there an element of that? Or is theatre completely just it's the love of the art kind of thing? No, it, it happens as well. I mean, you know, well, essentially what happens in theatre is you get used to working with people that you like working with. Okay. So you'll have certain directors or certain writers uh, who who will develop partnerships. And as such, you know, director X or director Y likes working with these actors and you'll bring them in and you'll cast other people around it and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of those things when you're outside that magical circle, if you look at a director who's, oh, he's always using that actor. Why am I getting seen for that? This is yeah. bullshit. Then when you're on the outside, it's all bullshit. If it's a director who likes you and brings you in for all theirs, so go, yeah, you know, it's a really profound partnership we have. <laughs> We're making great art here. You know, it's just a shortcut. It's like a symbiotic thing. You know, really, it's, it's, effect- it's efficiencies. It's about efficiencies. It's about art, you know. So, so look, it's double. Everyone, everyone's always jealous. Everyone yeah. always wants the gig someone else has. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I'm very happy in my career. I am as successful as I am. It's fine. I can pay my bills. I get to do nice work or whatever else. But there's people who look up at where I am going, God, I wish I was there. Yeah. And then I look at, you know, someone like Paul Reed, who's a mate of mine who is now over in London, going, oh, I wish I was there. And he's looking at his best mate, which is Donald Gleeson, going, oh, well, I wish I was there. And Donald Gleeson's looking at, you know, Fassbender going, Jesus, I wish I was there. And Fassbender's looking at Farrell. And Farrell's looking at Neeson. And it just goes on. And I, like, you always want one more. Yeah, you know, so you don't get too caught up in that bullshit. You just go, look, it is what it is, and I, I'm in the lucky situation where I get to do the work I want to do. You just love theatre. I do, yeah, and I get to say yeah. no to stuff now as well, which is really nice. Get to what, I get to say no to that's, stuff. That's I get to luxury. turn stuff down. That's I can't luxury. kind of pick. I, it's not like I'm in a situation where ah, they're looking for a new bond. I'll do that. I can't <laughs> like I can't pick and choose what I do to that extent, mm. but I can choose to say no to stuff. So I do that a bit, and also once you've got your own company. You can make whatever stuff you want because I'm the boss. I kind of go, hey, Angus, will we make a story about a boxer? Yeah, let's do a story about a boxer. Excellent. <laughs> let's make it happen. Uh, the boss said, yes, all right. Because um, I'm the boss. Like, it's just me. I can make it happen. Do you have a preference then to kind of, would you rather go and see a, a live production in a theatre or would you rather go see a Hollywood blockbuster? Or is that a bit of a shit question? No, it's not a shit question at all. As an audience member, yeah. I would always rather be in a theatre all day long. Beautiful. Every Sport day. live arts. Every day. Uh, I really would. It's. Um, there is the magic of the fact that it is different every night. You will never get the, an identical show to the one you get. There's the chance that yeah. it can always go wrong at any point. There's a chance that anything can happen. So that kind of magic is there. Um, now, still, I, I enjoy going to the pictures. I like going to see a big Hollywood yeah, blockbuster, yeah. and that's all fine. But no, as, a, as, a, as an audience member, I would always prefer uh, the live stuff. And then as a performer, like theater is more home for me. It's more comfort mm. zone. Like, I'm, I'm probably better there as well. Okay. Um, but I do like working on camera. It kind of suits my style a bit as well. My style is quite stripped back and naturalistic rather yeah. than big over-the-top stuff. Hey, over-the-top wrestling, hey. Um, <laughs> nice plug. Uh, you know, so, we, had, we had somebody on before who kind of said that, that on camera you, you can be a lot more subtle, but yeah. in theatre you have to kind of... Well, you know, if I played in 2,000 seat theatres, if they're going to see you in the back row, and they've paid their John money the Connors, same as anybody else has. John Conn would have been yeah, John Connors, yeah. Um, you know, if if they, if they pay their money to see you, they deserve to see you, and you've got to hit that back row with stuff. So yeah. it's it's a it's a bigger kind of thing. But also, like, and also, 
first and foremost, I started off as a fan. Like it's, it's nice. I like I love theatre, and so for me, when I get to be up on stage with a Kathy Belton or an Owen Rowe or whoever, it feels really great for me. And then also, like you're doing movies, and you're going like you know hanging out with Oscar winners, and there's Anne Hathaway, my best friend, and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, you're just having a good time. So you're going, this is kind of cool, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's fun. I like I like doing both. I really like doing both, but I'm probably better on stage. Your your grandmother was a Abbey Theatre legend. Mm. So what advice did she, did surely she gave you some great advice? Two things happened in terms of concrete advice. My granda had a great line, which was a consistently high standard of work over a long period of time cannot go unnoticed. And that's I've kind of lived my life by that because I you know I've had a very nice career and it's all been good. Um, and I've kind of done a lot of the things I wanted to do. But I didn't, you know, explode at 22 or 23 as the next heartthrob on the block kind of thing. Despite the fact that Ross and Rune tried to cast me as that, which is a very strange story. <laughs> um, there's there's new, newspaper clippings of that which are just ludicrous. Anyway, um, so like that didn't happen for me. I didn't become hotshot and you go in the block. I'm kind of, you know, an overnight success after 20 years, which I'm kind of into. I, I like the fact that... That I'm happens scared. a lot to Irish actors though, doesn't it? Yeah. I Especially it, like... Like there does, they've been around the block in the theatre for 20, yeah. 30 years and then they show up in Fair City. <laughs> that happens though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It really does. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that. But no, in terms of my granny, I remember my granny coming to see me do uh, a production of Philadelphia Here I Come by Brian Friel, which was our transition year show in school, in Port Marnock Community School on the main streets of Port Marnock where we had it so tough. <laughs> and at that stage, I had started working professionally already. I started working when I was only 15. Um, I did a couple of movies and a, uh, and, a, and a stage play as well um, and then she came to see this and I was kind of playing the lead and stuff whatever else and she came up to me afterwards and didn't do that you were amazing oh my god that's incredible she, she just kind of stopped and real kind of coolly just went yeah yeah you can do this really? and it that that seal of approval or that kind of like the subtlety yeah that kind of her giving her blessing on that because look I mean, there is a proud tradition within the family if I went and made a bollocks of it like it wouldn't be good yeah you know because it's their name I'm dragging through the dirt so uh, so but that meant a huge amount to me yeah. Um, yeah. to kind of get that nod from her she she was an awesome woman you never wanted to uh, host the lyric board no <laughs> you true story to, had to bring it up true story we Angus's had, father is yeah. Host so of the, Angus McAnally Senior was host of the Lyrics Board before Linda Martin took over. Eventually, I think a fantastic L- show. It's a great show. Yeah. L- listen, uh, Andy, it, it Ruan, today as well. Andy Ruan and Philip Camp, who devised that show, yeah. ultimately sold it to Fremantle. Fremantle are the people who I think now distribute X Factor and stuff like that. And at the time, we're distributing Baywatch, which was the number one most popular TV show on the planet. They made millions. I mean. Many multiples of millions out of that format. We had VHS cassettes of like the Danish lyrics board, Swedish lyrics board, like we had the most amazing stuff at home. But what we also had the Swedish one, presumably, was just ABBA songs. Precisely, that was it, just on a loop. Um, (laughs) But what we had at home were the official, original, uh, as seen on TV game cards with all with the answers of that my dad would have held as host. And so when I was in college, I would bring all the gang back to my house and we would do it as a drinking game and get absolutely <laughs> fucking locked and sing Danny show tunes to each other left, right and centre. It was glor- Matt, some of the stuff you find, like, so, and so people who go back even further than the lyrics board, uh, who remember my dad from Anything Goes, which is like kids TV in the, in the 80s in Ireland. And again, that was two channel land. So you were mm. only watching my yeah. dad if you're watching TV on a Saturday morning. <laughs> and he famously used to wear like red and yellow shoes, like one red shoe, one yellow shoe. 
And this kind of became his thing, was his trademark. Like Brutus the Barber was the jumpers cheers. as well. Yeah, jumpers yeah, as well. Yeah. So in the house, we have like a full three-piece suit, which is like one red leg, one yellow leg. <laughs> we've got a leather biker jacket that's in red and yellow. We've got the shoes. We've got a, a puppet of my dad in a miniature red and yellow suit as well. Like yeah. all this crazy memorabilia stuff. It's bizarre. Very deadly. It's Absolutely really bizarre. Um, I just wanted to ask two more questions because um, we're running out of time. Conor McGregor. Yeah. One, two questions about him. Is Willie in the future show up in a WWE ring? And two, does he have it to make a movie? Will he cross over to acting after his retirement? Uh, I, I don't think he'll do it in the way that The Rock has. Uh, I think he I think he can, but the dude's a born performer. He also understands the nature of the business. Chael Sonnen understood it too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to make your living by getting punched in the nose... Previous guest, Chael Sonnen. Take there you go. Bonus if you're going to make your money getting punched in the nose, make sure you make as much fucking money as you can Absolutely. for that. Which he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he what he did, he talked himself into those title fights with Silva and stuff. Because you know, he had the sense to do it. Going like, no one... Because he understood what the pro wrestling thing is. Yeah. Two men fighting as an exhibition is moderately interesting. Mm. Two men fighting because this guy said that Brazilians were dirty and, and <laughs> terrible uh, is because you want to see the bad guy get his ass kicked yeah. or you want to see the USA hero. He knew what def- he was doing. Exactly. Yeah. Of course he knew what he was doing. So and McGregor totally understands that. He's been playing the game since day one um, and he is very, very smart, very astute guy. Um, in terms of him becoming a movie star, I don't think he would want to do the full schedule that um, the Rock Rocky side. does. Yeah. So I don't, think, I don't see that happening. But do I think he could end up in Expendable 7 like with with eight, with 8 minutes of screen time absolutely yeah, in a fucking yeah. heartbeat of course you could pull that off all day long um, nothing d- wrong with the Expendables franchise it's a great it's great stuff dude yeah. it makes me happy in my soul um, so that's you want to talk about real art that's some real art right there uh, but in terms of making a WWE ring um, a one off appearance or- yeah there's an awful lot of money to be made out of that mm-hmm. um, and I know that Vince likes money I know that Dana likes money, and I know that McGregor likes money. And when there's money on the table, I I, I don't see those three boys not getting it. I think Absolutely. the seed has been planted. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And if, do you know what? If you want to if you want to sign on how you would pull it off, uh, look at the Mayweather Big Show stuff. Exactly. I, I, I rewatched yeah. it recently because by rights it should be a clusterfuck that kind of exposes both of them as being idiots and and just all being terrible. It was brilliant. It's some of the best. It's like in terms of a big showcase spectacle on, on a big stage like WrestleMania, it's phenomenal. Mayweather because because the, the whole point is you go well Mayweather's too expensive, too much money, you wouldn't be able to let a hand lay a hand on him. Yeah, they fuck shit up together. It's yeah. really great. Really, the really no great. way you where he showed up and broke was Big Show's nose. Man. So I was just like, yeah, do it, man. Yeah, but he said, yeah, do whatever you want. But whatever you do, please don't break my nose. You're getting one shot. And Mayweather, it's so deeply ingrained from 20-odd years of training that Mayweather threw the first shot and his instinct followed up for the one, two, three, four, five yeah. that came after, shattering Show's nose. So when you see Show jumping the railing and chasing him out of the fucking that's building, real. that's a it's shoot. Legit. That um, is a shoot, brother. Because Punk, <laughs> Punk said recently, uh, about two weeks ago when, when all that... Twitter blew up about uh, McGregor saying about WWE wrestlers. Punk was like, yeah, the wrestlers were more than likely told to respond the way that they did. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay, I know we're short on time. So rule number one for professional wrestling, it's a work. It's always a work. If you think it's a shoot, it's a work. If they tell you it's a shoot, it's a work. <laughs> if they tell you it's definitely not a shoot and it's a work, it's, it's a definitely work. a work. <laughs> it's always a work. That just stop. It's always yeah. a work. 
Always. End of story. Pipe bomb. Pipe bomb. <laughs> right. Best segment ever. It has been a true joy, man. I've really, really enjoyed yeah. this. Will you come back with an OTT talent in the future? I, I could have a conversation <laughs> with some of my colleagues. Yeah, no, I would love to. And I think, I think the gang would love to come out. We'll, uh, we'll see who we could rope in. But yeah, I think... Uh, a standalone proper OTC where people who are properly qualified to speak on all things wrestling <laughs> yes. uh, would be would be absolutely great I think well, that's a very good well, idea I think you held your own man don't sell yourself short on that stuff um, but genuinely it has been an absolute pleasure uh, Dublin Fringe September 21st 24th yes that's correct Project Art Beautiful. Centre Project Art Centre buy your tickets get on it Traitor uh, Traitor that's the one Traitor yeah and in uh, WrestleCon uh, get your tickets on Eventbrite and that's happening October October 23rd we've got a couple of shows oh, maybe later 28, 29 and 30 I think we're in, in Galway for the 30th my birthday it's Friday and, it's Friday and Saturday during the yeah. yeah, and Sunday birthday. you can bring me out for my birthday there you go we might get I always go front row and I always probably get squashed that's grand man can you start out that I don't get squashed this time <laughs> <laughs> that's the added bonus <laughs> people will be paying for that I like got worked by Mar- Marty Searle Marty Excellent. Yeah. Man. in my face he was um, who just won Bola in PWG in LA. in LA yeah. and he's tweeting some very interesting things at the moment it'll be interesting oh. to see when he's next back in Dublin speaking of tweeting are you on the Twitter about yourself mm-hmm. he is I love the tweet machine. It's my favourite of all. Uh, you can find me at Angus Oag or at Rise Ireland, which is Rise Productions, my company. Beautiful. Make sure to follow. Angus, it's been an absolute pleasure. Lads, FitzpatrickCastle.com. Don't forget to check it out. Pop up to the Dungeon Bar and Grill. Angus had a great burger here tonight. Delicious yeah, burger. Yeah, we've had about 17 in the last three days. Um, they pay me in burgers. It's fantastic. You can ask for a studio tour. Don't forget, all proceeds go to Graham Merrigan's back pocket. Um, <laughs> uh, we're at WTS Pod on Twitter. WTS Pod. Oh, where am I going with this? Sorry. Facebook.com forward slash WTS Pod Ireland. Uh, and don't forget, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, anywhere and everywhere there's a podcast, lads. Just search WTS Pod right there. Check out the back catalog. I love saying that because it makes me sound like the Beatles. <laughs> Graham is at American Mania, uh, or he's the photo of the rock on Tinder. Uh, I'm at Dan Joe Murray. And. Dickhead. I can't find oh. those biscuits. What biscuits? Bougie. Oh, yeah, we. I have a biscuit club in work and I ask people to send me in biscuit recommendations that I can bring to said biscuit club because my job is so awful I need biscuits to get me through the day. I thought the first rule of biscuit uh, club was not to talk about biscuit club. But <laughs> <come on. laughs> Funny enough, we actually say that about people who don't deserve to be at biscuit club. Don't biscuit it's club. a niche group. Yeah, um, it's a select five people, put it that way. Um, yeah, so lads, keep the biscuit recommendations coming in so we can keep looking deadly in front of the lads. A listener tweeted us saying about the uh, fox's, foxes amber. Yeah, foxes amber. I couldn't find them. I had to eat the white chocolate. <laughs> I had to eat. You will get them in uh, Dunay's. I was in Dunay's. I couldn't reach. It was on the fourth shelf. Oh, God bless us and save us. Um, anyway, that's it. Look, thanks very much for listening, lads. Check out everything that we've plugged tonight. Every last bit of it. You'll be thanking us for it. But until trader. next week. Graham. Good luck. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>